Hello and welcome to Christian's Corner. This is your host, Christian Millsaps. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Happy National Podcast Day. I'm going to start off this episode by talking about the NBA Finals. I'm going to be honest, I never had the Miami Heat making it all the way to the Finals this season, especially when they beat the Bucks and surprised us all when the favorite team in the East got knocked out. You look at that Miami roster and you don't really see what most NBA fans have become used to when looking at the DNA of a team prepared to contend for a title. But somehow, so far, it's worked really, really well for them. I think it is a testament, especially to Coach Spolstra and what he's able to bring out of his team. It is clear that each guy out there on the court is connected and that they enjoy playing together and want to give each other their all. It is a nice change of pace, in my opinion, from the tick typical star ball that the NBA has turned into. Basketball, unlike any other sport really though, is a game where having a couple stars who are just purely better than the other team can carry you to a championship due to the fact that only five guys are out there at any given time. And yes, I realize that typically the team with better players is going to win regardless of what sport it is. But the NBA, or basketball in general, is specific because, you know, there's a difference between having 22 guys give or take like a football game you got a bunch of guys on the field and you need more than just a couple of stars you need the whole team to be very talented but you also need it to be a very fluid game and coaching and play calling is vital in football basketball you can get away with just having a couple guys out there who are just going to absolutely dominate the opposing team so that's that's why I make that point for example the Lakers are a team that you can look at and say hey they kind of have what you would like to call a bit of star ball. Besides LeBron and AD, the team doesn't really have anything but a bunch of role players at this point. Talented role players, but role players nonetheless. Even when you look at a team from the old days, like the Bulls from the 90s, they rode Jordan to success, obviously, but Phil Jackson did a great job of making sure the team played together and didn't just force MJ to play hero ball 24-7. I know MJ inevitably would play hero ball at some point, especially late in the game, but it is MJ, so I mean, what do you expect? And I'm not saying that teams shouldn't play through their stars, that'd be idiotic, but sometimes it can be a bad thing, which is why I use the Bulls as an example. Phil Jackson and his triangle offense made sure everyone was getting touches and that Jordan's biggest strength his confidence and scoring ability didn't become the team's biggest weakness, which is what I feel like the modern NBA does way too much. You play through your stars and you ride or die by what they are able to do on any given night or any given series. Houston is a great example. During the playoffs, 16% of their plays were ISO calls, the second highest only behind OKC at 17%. Just give the ball to Harden or Russ and see what they can give you, right? And that does work to an extent, and there is more to their team than that. But when you're playing against a well-coached team, it will only get you so far. Portland is also a great example from this season, 11% of their plays being ISO calls. When you have a guy like Dame, ISO slash Starball can work really well. After all, Dame did carry Portland into the playoffs, putting up some ridiculous numbers in the bubble, but Dame alone isn't going to get you past LeBron and AD, who they ended up going against in the first round, and especially once Damian Lillard got injured, I mean, Portland's game plan basically went out the window, and they were quickly dispatched by Los Angeles in five games. 
Then you look at a team like Miami, that's a team that has to rely on a true team strategy. Jimmy Butler, their best player, is a star by all means, but when talking about Jimmy Butler, no one's ever really seen him as the guy you look at and go, that's the main star. He's the guy who's going to lead a team to a championship. It's nothing against Jimmy. He's just not that type of player. But along with Bam, who is emerging as a top five big man in the league, leading the team in assists as well, as scoring 18 points, Hero really showing what he is capable of with just under 17 a game, Duncan Robinson shooting 40 percent from downtown and playing well defensively Dragic playing well with 20 points per game being one of two Miami scores averaging 20 the other being Jimmy which is an unexpected duo for a championship contending team but it works then when you factor in that they're a well-coached fluid and gritty team who's not afraid to get their hands dirty on the defensive end you start to see why they've been able to get where they are As a team, the Heat have the 5th lowest opponent points per game in the playoffs at 107, the 4th best opponent 3-point percentage, matching up against a very poor 3-point shooting Lakers team, and a Miami team that is very good at taking the ball from their opponents. And shockingly, they have been one of the highest scoring teams in the playoffs so far, I think despite being on paper an inferior team to the LeBron and AD-led Lakers, I think it'll be exciting, gritty, and honestly close series. I think it will take a lot for the Heat to win, but I love picking the underdogs, and I think both teams will give us an exciting six or seven game finals. The Heat match up really well, in my opinion, against the Lakers. Butler is one of the best options you could have to defend LeBron and try to slow him down as best as you can. Bam is on the smaller side, but extremely athletic and capable of running with AD and going toe-to-toe with him, and the rest of the Heat roster are very willing defenders that I think will match up against the role players of LA. Plus, the storyline is pretty exciting. In LeBron's first trip to the finals after leaving the Eastern Conference, and LA's first trip to the finals since Kobe took them there in 2010. Since then, the franchise has struggled to gain much success, and as Kobe got older and the team just couldn't find a coach to replace Phil Jackson, after Kobe's passing this year, it seems fitting to have the Lakers eyeing to win a ring for Kobe. Gigi and the others that lost their lives in the unexpected crash earlier this year. On the other hand, LeBron is also facing the team where he not only won his first NBA ring, but also his second. It would be incredible to see that he beat LeBron after what the franchise was able to give him and what he was able to give the franchise. It would also be one of the best underdog stories probably in NBA history, obviously, Not topping, though, the 3-1 comeback by the Cavs against the Golden State Warriors. It would also be great to see a team like Miami with no true star, insert air quotes, and a team that doesn't fit the modern NBA mold of the flashy play, trying to score as much as humanly possible. They're they're a very old-fashioned style team that aren't afraid to get physical and bully you on the defensive end. Now, obviously, I said earlier they do have some very good scorers on their team, but this Miami team is just not what you expect. So it's nice to see something a little different in this NBA matchup. And I, I really hope that the Heat can show teams what they're can show LA rather what they're about. I'm extremely excited to see what this matchup has to offer us. Regardless of who wins, I think this is the best matchup we could have gotten. You know, maybe Giannis versus LeBron or Giannis versus the Clippers and and Pandemic P. Would have been cool, but we obviously see saw Giannis get knocked out 
to this Heat team. And, well, we saw the Clippers have a very disappointing end to their season that was supposed to be historic for the franchise. Either way, I look forward to Game 1, and honestly, I don't have any idea who I want to win yet. On one part, I want the Lakers to win and give Kobe a championship. On the other, it'd be cool to see Miami, the underdogs, get a really nice win against LeBron and the Lakers. All I do know is, win or lose, LeBron is still the second best player of all time. I'm just saying. Now, I want to talk about something that has been frustrating me a lot recently about the way fans treat coaches across all sports. Coach bashing is something very common, and it is something that I have taken part in in the past and probably something that I will take part in in the future, even though I'm really going to try to just stop that cold turkey as best as I can. It's something that happens all too often, and I'm getting really sick of seeing it, regardless of who the coach is, regardless of who the team is, regardless of the reason, and frankly, it's just out of hand and it's done too frequently. Whether it be in the middle of a season, whether the coach has been there for years, or whether he or she has been there just a season, pro and amateur teams are quick to fire coaches when results are not meeting the expectations set by fans, management, etc. And unfortunately, fans influence the firing of coaches significantly once it is apparent to ownership or management that their fans and the ones who are giving them the millions or billions of dollars they make each year are unhappy with the person in charge. As a coach, your job is to make sure the team is performing at its highest level, the players are on board with your vision, players are reaching their potential, and most importantly, that the team is winning games. But coaches can't control everything, and they can't make miracles happen. Even the best of coaches can't take a team full of terrible players and make them world beaters. It is possible but the odds are definitely not in their favor, especially when a team is wanting success right away or when a fan base is wanting success right away. And unfortunately, another job as a coach is to make fans happy, and to me, I think that's the most important thing because typically that tends to be what defines you as a coach. Once a fan base turns on you, it's hard for management to justify holding on to you. And the sad thing is, Coaches need time. They need time to implement their system, get the players that they need to fit their system, and, well, find players that are talented enough to actually compete. But fans and management don't give them enough time. And so they're trying to do the impossible in just a matter of a couple of seconds. Obviously not seconds, but I'm just making a point. If you look at a pro sports team, even the worst players in the league compared to the other 99% of the world are still incredibly talented athletes. But among that 1%, you will find guys who are, no offense to them, are lucky that they are where they are. Some teams need time to find players who are going to be able to turn a losing culture into a winning one. That could take a couple of seasons or maybe even three or four years of building to turn your organization organization around. Coaches are given a couple of years to turn a group of bums into a dominant force. That is just purely unrealistic. But what is easier across the board? Firing a coach and starting over? Which doesn't actually give an increase in performance statistically, and I'll get into that later. 
or getting rid of players who are ineffective and finding some of the best in the league who will want a lot of money to come play for you. Which is easier on an organization? Well, I think we all know the answer to that question. It's much more affordable and easier to fire a coach and start over. But is it really that effective? The Freakonomics podcast, by the way, if you've never heard of them, look up Freakonomics podcast. It's, it's very interesting. They did an episode eight years ago looking at what firing a coach really does for a team. Does it increase performance? Does performance stay the same? Or is it detrimental? They pulled from a study done by E. Scott Adler, Michael J. Berry, and David Daugherty, who are all profession- professors of political science. This study looked specifically at college football, but evaluated other sports like soccer and baseball to show across the board their findings were consistent regardless of what the sport they were looking at was. In their own words, they found that for particularly poorly performing teams, coach replacements have little effect on team performance as measured against comparable teams that did not replace their coach. However, for teams with middling records, that is teams where entry conditions for a new coach appear to be more favorable, replacing the head coach appears to result in a worse performance over subsequent years than comparable teams who retain their coach. As much as fans want coaches to be fired, this study showed it doesn't always work and in some cases it just sets you back a couple of years, you restart again, and you're just losing just as much, if not worse. This is a prime example of why I hate when coaches who have been with the team for all of two minutes are instantly hated once losing becomes frequent. A coach needs time, and fans, as hard as it is, and trust me, I know, need to be patient. Finding someone new could put you back at square one, and the process just begins again. Everything that was implemented is now gone, and players have to learn a new system, and players have to learn a new coach, and you're repeating the process. Now, obviously, I can't change everyone's minds on this, but I wish people would be more forgiving for these men and women who are doing their best to bring success on such a short leash. You're expected to be a miracle worker, and it's just not always going to be possible. Sometimes you need five years. Now, I know a lot of fans are like, I don't want to have to wait five years for success. Yeah, I don't either. But at the end of the day, five years or ten years, which would you rather wait? Would you rather continue to replace coaches and continue to start over and over and over? Or do you want to try and trust one guy or gal and actually give them time to really change the culture in that team? I'm not just talking about changing players or changing systems. I'm talking about actually changing the culture, truly moving the culture into a new phase. And and people just aren't given time to do that. And unfortunately, fans play a big part in that, which is why it's just so frustrating to see. I I can't imagine what it is like to be a coach at any level for any organization in any sport. As a fellow fan, I encourage everybody to try to have as much patience as possible and to remember, hey, statistics show that firing a coach is not always the answer and majority of the time, 
isn't the answer you should be looking for regardless. Now for my last topic, I want to talk about the Ravens-Chiefs matchup on Monday Night Football just two nights ago. Matchup that everyone thought would be one of the games of the year. Turned out to be, well, it was it was pretty one-sided and honestly lackluster. Lamar versus Mahomes, the defending the defending champs versus a surprise early exit from last year in the playoffs, being the Ravens, two of the best young quarterbacks in the league who are no strangers to scoring a lot of points. Man, this is going to be a shootout, right? N- no, we, we didn't get that at all. Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the Chiefs simply outplayed the Ravens and proved where both teams, and for me more importantly, where both quarterbacks stand in terms of the best of the best. You have to take into account, obviously, that the Chiefs have the second-best football mind in the NFL as their head coach, and that's Andy Reid, right behind Bill Belichick. They're a better coach team. They do have more talent, in my opinion. So you got to take that into consideration. But the Ravens proved last season that Lamar Jackson is a much better quarterback than everybody thought he would be, and the Ravens proved that they are no strangers to scoring and that they have what it takes to go deep into the playoffs despite getting knocked out to the Titans. But I don't care about the coaching aspect of this game. I care, like most, about the young quarterback matchup that we got to see. Mahomes, who has taken the league by storm and cemented himself as one of the top three QBs in the league, some would say, I would say, the best quarterback in the league right now, Going up against a player who, as I said, most didn't think would cut it as a quarterback. No one questioned his athletic ability. But people had concerns about Lamar Jackson's ability to actually throw the ball. Lamar Jackson, though, a player who was voted by his peers as the best player in the league, which I found just incorrect, and the same peers that voted Patrick Mahomes as the fourth best player in the league, which... I don't see how anybody justified that. Now, obviously, I'm not playing in the NFL. I have never played against Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. I never will. But from what I have seen, Mahomes is the best player in the league, and that's just not even a debate. This game put a spotlight on those rankings, what those peers think, what fans think, and who really is the best player in the league. I think it's obvious when you talk about Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes that the better passer is Patrick Mahomes. But because of his unrivaled athletic ability and his ability to make plays with his legs, Lamar Jackson set himself apart as the best, at least to his peers. Monday, we got to see Mahomes dominate the game with five total touchdowns, one of them being a rushing touchdown. We also got to see Lamar struggle to play from behind. As great as Lamar is, once you have to rely on him to throw the ball, his weakness and the ability for a well-coached defense to abuse that, I don't see how you place Lamar as the best in the league. And that's no disrespect to him. He's he's an incredible athlete. He's an incredible player. And again, he is a good passer. But when you compare him to Mahomes, his athletic ability is not enough to give him the edge. Mahomes is clearly the best player in the NFL right now. He's a generational talent at the quarterback position. He is Aaron Rodgers, but more athletic and more talented. Lamar is amazing. Again, don't get me wrong, and I realize this is just one game, but Lamar is just not on the same level as Mahomes, 
and his running ability is not enough to tip the scales in his favor. Is he fun to watch? Oh, heck yeah. He's very fun to watch. Could he win a Super Bowl? I have no doubt that team is good enough. Lamar Jackson is good enough. But to disrespect Mahomes and put Lamar at one and Mahomes at four, that's just absurd. There are only two quarterbacks in this league who even deserve to be in the same tier as Mahomes. Those two guys are Russell Wilson, and even though in the tier list Aaron Rodgers was put as a tier two quarterback, Aaron Rodgers deserves to be there right now as well. And ranking NFL quarterbacks is something that I want to do in a later episode because it's a topic I want to go into fairly deeply. But to shorten that for this conversation, there are only three quarterbacks right now who deserve to be considered the best of the best. Obviously, okay, maybe not the best of the best. Drew Brees is the best of the best. Tom Brady, still best of the best. Lamar Jackson, best of the best. But when we're talking about the top three, the three guys that I would want on my team right now, it'd be Mahomes, it'd be Russell Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers. Lamar Jackson, again, don't get me wrong, no disrespect to him, but he's just not on that level. He's an incredible player. He's not something that you're going to find a lot. You're not going to find many guys who can throw the ball as well as he can, and you're not going to find many guys who play the running back position who can run as well as he can. But in terms of comparing him to other quarterbacks, especially the likes of Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes, I I just, you can't put him in the same stratosphere as these guys. They're just miles ahead of the pack right now. And I think this matchup, the Ravens and the Chiefs, really showed not only who the best team in the NFL is right now, and it is still the Chiefs, but it also shows you the weaknesses of Lamar Jackson and also that Ravens team. Once you have to force Jackson to just purely throw the ball and you take away his ability to run, not necessarily because you're shutting his running game down, but because running the ball is not going to put points on the board as quickly as, as throwing passes down the field. So those weaknesses were apparent, and again, it's one game. It's not like, you know, this is the defining moment of Lamar Jackson's career. I'm just making a point that the rankings before the start of the season just seemed really odd to me, and I, I think this game is proving that those rankings aren't quite correct. No offense to the people who actually play in the NFL. I'm just some guy, but that's my opinion. Anyways, I will get in to ranking quarterbacks later on. I will definitely be looking at Tom Brady, comparing him to guys like Aaron Rodgers, and explaining why I think a guy like Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Brady without a question. But we'll get into that in a later week. I thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys are continuing to stay safe, and I hope you all have a good week. Peace out.